If I seem slightly disoriented today, there's a good reason for that. I am still recovering from Disneyland. This time last week, I had been back for less than 24 hours. I've now had almost a full week to recover, and I still feel like I'm on Space Mountain. (laughs) Now, I'm not really a Disneyland kind of person. I like museums, I like arts and entertainment, I like nature, but I would do anything for my four nieces. And last week, I had a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Disneyland with my four nieces. Now, I decided to make this once-in-a-lifetime experience the best experience possible. So even before the trip, I found myself visioning what that trip would be like. I thought back to my time at Disneyland when I was about eight years old, and I thought back to all my favorite rides. I thought about Peter Pan. I thought about Small World. I thought about Mr. Toad's Wild Ride the mad teacups, and I thought how wonderful it would be to go with my nieces again and again on all my favorite rides. So we get to Disneyland. Of course, they want to be there right when it opens. And I said, all right, what do you want to do first? Small World? Peter Pan? What would you like to do with your Uncle D? And they looked at me like I was from another family. They said, Space Mountain! Really? What? Surely you want to do small world first. It's a small world after all. It's a small world. They looked at me again like, who are you? We don't claim you as our uncle. (laughs) Okay, so I went along with with the nieces. We did Space Mountain. We did Thunder Mountain. We did every water ride imaginable. We did Indiana Jones 16 times. I said, aren't you ready for Peter Pan now? No, we're ready for the haunted house. We had five days on this trip. And every day I would say, aren't you ready for Peter Pan now? Aren't you ready for a small world? No, let's do the Tower of Terror. (laughs) Finally, it got to the last day, and I still hadn't lived out my dream with my nieces. Every time I suggested small world or Peter Pan, they looked at me like I was crazy. Well, fortunately, I had two younger nieces, ages seven and nine, who could easily be bribed. (laughs) And so on the last day, they went along with their Uncle D to Small World. It was so sweet. I was holding each of their hands. I was looking at what a wonderful opportunity this would be. They were kind of going along with it, looking at their little (laughs) Sleeping Beauty watches. (laughs) But as I was there in that line, it brought back all those memories of my first time there as a child and the wonder of that. As I thought back on that entire week, I was amazed at all the innovation and ingenuity and creativity that had gone into every detail. And I found myself thinking, the people who created this were just amazingly awesome. I mean, this is, this is creativity overload. And it was a joy to be there with my nieces. The line was long, and I found myself thinking about the scripture today. I'd taken it with me on this trip. And it talks about about awesomeness, and it talks about creativity. 
And so I looked around, I thought, you know, who could match this kind of creativity and ingenuity and innovation, this kind of color and beauty and fantasy and majesty? And at that moment, I looked up. And I saw in the sky cloud formations like I'd never seen before. And then it occurred to me. This is one of the most creative, beautiful, imaginative, wonderful places in the world. But it doesn't even begin to compare to the great creator. The great innovator. And suddenly, it's a small world. Didn't seem so true. Suddenly it was, it's a majestic world. It's an amazing world. It's a powerful world. It's an awesome world. God does nothing small. God does creation with grandeur and splendor and majesty and wonderful. And how amazing is that? Right there at that moment, looking up, realizing that you didn't have to go anywhere for that kind of cloud formation. You can experience it anywhere from Houston to London to the Midwest. All you have to do is look up. And it's a grand, amazing, powerful world. Look up. You know, it's easy to praise God when you're surrounded by nieces and beauty and you're having a good time. But I was challenged to look deeper at the psalm before you today, Psalm 104, 1 through 5, a psalm that calls us to look up. But here's the rub. This psalm was not written by someone sitting in Disneyland looking at all the color and all the beauty. This psalm was not written by someone having a cup of coffee at Starbucks and enjoying a good time. This psalm was not written by someone enjoying the romance of a wonderful relationship. In fact, this psalm teaches us about praise because this psalm was written by some people who were incredibly afraid. And in fact, that's what's going on in this scripture. One of the verses refers to the ocean. You need to understand that when this scripture was written, the people were very afraid of the ocean. The ocean represented fear to the people of Israel. At that time, they could still believe that monsters and demons came from the ocean. They weren't sure what was there. And they lived right next to that. They could not imagine the ocean being a safe place. The ocean represented fear and vulnerability. And yet, the psalmist says, God makes God's home over the ocean. In fact, the most dangerous, scary place is a place that somehow God makes hospitable. How amazing is that? This scripture also gives descriptions of chariots. Again, this was not the image that we have of chariot races from Ben-Hur. Chariots represented an amazing threat. Chariots represented conquering nations. Again, another frightful image. So what this psalm is doing, it's redefining praise for us. What it's saying is that beautiful flowers and majestic mountains and safe, quiet places are not the only things that point us to the majesty and wonder of God. 
In fact, real praise happens in the scariest, most frightful moments. It's the dangerous things that point us to who God really is. Real praise is praising God and being drawn into God's creativity and God's power even when it seems we can't get there because we are so afraid. Listen to this scripture again from a slightly different translation. This is from the message. God, my God, how great you are. You are beautifully, gloriously robed. You are dressed up in sunshine, and all heaven is stretched out for your tent. You built your home on the ocean deeps, and you made a chariot out of clouds and took off on wind wings. You made the winds your messengers, And you appointed fire and flame as your ambassadors. You set the earth on a firm foundation so that nothing can shake it, ever. You ever find yourself bargaining with God when it comes to praise? Saying, God, I will praise you when you change this in my life. I will praise you when I feel like it. I will praise you when things are going better. I will praise you when I get that job I want. I will praise you when I get that relationship you want. God, I know you call us to praise, but give me something to praise you for. (laughs) What this scripture is saying is that true praise draws us into a God who meets us where we are, even in the most difficult circumstances. In fact, when we're most afraid and most upset, that's the exact moment we are called to align ourselves with the inherent power in praise. Why? Because it points us beyond our needs and our whining and our upset to the source of ultimate strength, to that foundation. This psalm is all about praising God in the difficult places. The moment of difficulty is the exact moment to praise God with all your heart. Yes, praise that moment in the most difficult place, your sorrow is turned to joy, your fret to peace, your disorder to order, your chaos to calm. Praise God with all your heart, however restricted your circumstances. Praise God with all your heart, however little you may be able to remedy financial affairs. Praise God with all your heart, however complex the problem seems. When you praise God, life takes on a new perspective. Praise draws us into God's broader vision. The psalmist is challenging us to look beyond the small visions that we surround ourselves with the excuses, sometimes even the reasons. The psalmist is calling us to look beyond our small dreams into the grand dreams that God has for each one of us. We will never see what God has for us if we're simply looking down. Looking down at our limiting surroundings, our limiting fears. But you might say, It's all I can do to hold on. 
It's all I can do to hold on because everything around me seems to be shaking. I need something solid. I'm afraid if I look up, I'm gonna get dizzy and fall over. And yet the psalmist says the foundation is solid because the God who makes God's home over the ocean, the God who makes the entire creation a tent is also a God of the earth, a God who gives us that solid ground to stand on, our foundation. God's creation reveals to us that it is God who built foundations for earth and it will never be shaken. At times things may seem shaky. That's because we want a sense of certainty. We want things ordered according to our own understanding of the world. But that's our agenda, not God's. Only God knows the big picture and the grand plan. So look up and see the bigger picture. God's creative power will be unleashed in your life. You will begin to see all people, places, and situations as opportunities to open your vision just a little wider. You will see every day as a new chance for God to surprise you with new discoveries, new lessons, and new growth. Look up and praise God with all your heart and listen as God says, you are a part of all of this. May all your fears be turned to love. A God who turns our fears to love and perfect love that casts out all fear. What's the bottom line here in all of this? What's the bottom line here in this scripture? It's this. It's all about perspective. And it's praise that changes our perspective. It's praise that aligns us with God and moves us into God's perspective. There are so many ways to look at things and sometimes that which seems frightening really is a point of praise. Joe and Bob dreamed of raising a child when they got together in a committed relationship and after giving their relationship and their lives to Christ, they then dreamed about raising a child and they prayed and they went through lots of different processes and finally Tricia was brought into their lives. They were so committed to being great parents that Joe, in fact, decided to change his schedule where each day after school, he could meet Tricia there at the entrance of the school. And every day he would meet her and they would walk home together. They didn't live too far from the school. But one day he got there and it's like all the other children were coming out. And he kept looking for, for Tricia, looking for his beloved daughter. And it didn't take long before that panic started to set in. He, he, he didn't see her. He kept, he kept waiting for his daughter. Where is she? Finally, when no more children were coming out of the building, he, he stepped in and he looked around and he still didn't see her. At that point, he was really starting to panic. Now, the drama of this scene was heightened by what was going on outside. It was one of those amazing, amazing rainstorms, complete with thunder and lightning. And it seems like every time he had a fearful thought about where Tricia was, 
thunder would happen or lightning would happen. And it was increasing. And he became increasingly frightened. He didn't know where she was. Finally, he he went out to the playground, and it was pouring down rain, and and the lightning had actually picked up. It's like every moment, it it was flashing, 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 lightning everywhere. And and he was afraid, and because he was afraid, he was angry, and he found himself wanting to, to just run out and grab her off that playground and pull her in and then give her a good paddling. But the the minute he saw her face, he saw this look of sheer delight and ecstasy and joy. And it's like his his anger melted at that moment. And and, and she ran up to him and she said, oh, dad, it's so good to see you. And she gave him a great big hug. And he was so excited to see her, but but he still had to to just say, Trisha, I'm so glad to see you, but but you scared me so much. Where, Where were you? And don't you know that there's lightning all around? And and don't you know that lightning is dangerous? And she looked back at her dad with this great big smile and she said, yeah, isn't the lightning cool? God's taking my picture. (laughs) It's all about perspective. And sometimes that which seems most frightening is that which can be most enlightening if we embrace it and learn from it and take the lesson that's in it for us. Do you have any fears today? Is there a place in your life where the foundations seem to be shaking? The call of Scripture today is to look up And to see that God is present in the dangerous places, in the scary places, in the shaky places. God is ready and God is present. Look up. Amen.